But Father, we continue in worship and we do say, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And we praise you for being the great shepherd of our souls, Lord, the leader of the flock and the ruler of all. And we pray that this morning as we dive into your word, that you would situate our hearts such that we can hear our minds so that we can concentrate in our lives so that they would change. And Lord, we praise you and thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Welcome here, everybody. It is so good to see a whole group back together again. What a blessing. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's been a long time since we've seen this. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're joining us online, thank you. You should be here in person. It is super cool. I hope that you'll be able to get to a point where you can return soon. But if you're traveling or you're away or you're um, perhaps in seclusion for one medical reason or another, the Lord is with you and you will hear more of that today. What we're doing right now is we're sort of at a transition point. We're moving from our spring series to our summer series. We're going to have a couple different things this next few weeks. Today is Psalm 23. I'll explain that here in a little bit. Next week is Senior Recognition Sunday. Pastor Chuck's going to speak. After that, I'm going on vacation. We'll have a guest speaker, Ryan Kohlinger. And then we'll go into our summer series, which is continuing this awesome series with the encountering the incredible of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And what I'm excited about, particularly with that gospel of Mark thing is this, is that uh, this summer we'll walk right up until sort of almost the end, almost the passion or the last week of Jesus's life. And then we'll pick that up in the spring and finish out the book of Mark in direct correspondence to sort of our seasonal um, holiday. So we'll go through uh, Mark all the way up until um, Good Friday and we'll be in Mark on Good Friday and then we'll come back to Mark on Easter morning and then we'll finish Mark right there. So it'll be kind of a cool end as we walk out the rest of that book. But for today, it's Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend. So a lot of us are thinking about either loved ones we've lost or appreciation for those who've sacrificed and gone before and died on our behalf. And I thought it'd be appropriate then to look at a psalm that we've heard so many times spoken at funerals, and that psalm is Psalm 23. And probably many of us know it, we memorized it. If you're not familiar with church, you've probably heard this one said at a funeral or somewhere. You've probably bumped into this. It's one of the most famous poems in the history of the world. If you're not a Christian, you still will probably even know this psalm. And so Hopefully what I can do today is show you why Christians in particular love this psalm so much and what it means to us, why it's such a great source of comfort and encouragement and strength and restoration and all those good things that all of us, Christian or not, need, that we desperately, desperately need. And so I'll walk us through Psalm 23 in uh, in the next few moments here, but let me set it up a little bit because there's often, as in in the Many times in the case of the Bible, sort of a cultural distance. There's like their lives thousands of years ago and our lives today. And they seem so distant. They seem so different. And we want to connect those things and make them happen. So I want to explain to you the two images first before we read the psalm. That David is going to 
bring up. You've heard probably the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. And indeed it is. And the Bible is full of pictures, beautiful pictures, amazing pictures, confusing pictures, scary pictures, beautiful pictures, profound pictures. And that's somewhat what this thing is doing today. It has almost all of those in this short six verses. The scary, the beautiful, the profound, all wrapped into one. Psalm 23, it has these two big images. Number one, it has a shepherd. And number two, it has a host. A shepherd and a host. A shepherd and a host. Now, in our world, depending on where you live, shepherds are very unfamiliar um, host or hostesses are familiar. We walk into restaurants or we go into someone's home. And so we kind of get that one. But let me explain even that one in its cultural context to make it pop just a little bit more. So first of all, the shepherd, the shepherd, and there are two points of comparison really under this, the big ideas. And you kind of get these, even if you're not familiar with this culture is there are sheep and there's a shepherd, sheep and the shepherd. And in this text, We human beings are likened unto the sheep. So sheep equals us and shepherd equals the Lord or New Testament believers would say Jesus. So the shepherd is Jesus. We are the sheep. And the idea here is simple, but it's profound is that the shepherd saves. The shepherd saves. So the first point we're making today is that the shepherd saves. Saveth. The shepherdeth. I don't know. I could try to think of a thousand different ways to say it. But you need to get it stuck. The shepherd saves. The shepherd saves. And the reason why that's a big deal. I could spend a lot of time waxing eloquent here up here on sheep. And their properties and the way they work. But that's not the point of the sermon. But just so you know. Sheep are stupid. Okay. I've actually talked to a um, a there's a technical word for it. I don't remember it, but it's a sheep herder or groomsman or leader, an actual modern farmer in the United States of sheep and did sort of an informal interview with this guy. And I'm like, Hey, what's the deal? Tell me everything you know about sheep. And I'm taking notes and he's telling me, and he's saying, look, sheep are truly the dumbest animal in the entire world. Like deer are very smart compared to deer. When I leave here late at night, sometimes I'll see deer out in the field in front of our building. And they're kind of a beautiful yet creepy animal. They peek up at you and you can whistle and they'll stop and they'll look and their ears will point up. If you make a sudden move, man, they'll bolt. They're smart. Sheep are not like that. <laughs> they're in the field and they're eating their grass and you make them noise and they're just like, om, 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 om. Like, I could destroy you if I couldn't move. <laughs> And such is the case with sheep. They're just that dumb. They don't move. And in fact, if they follow the grass and they just keep eating, they might literally walk off the edge of a cliff. That's what they do. And in fact, this farmer tells me that they're way more susceptible to disease than other animal like deer. Moreover, they're also very vulnerable to predators. It doesn't have to be a big, scary lion. It can be just a silly, playful dog that wants to romp and roll and tear at them a little bit. And all of a sudden, they're dead. They're just dumb. They're sheep. So it's not a very high compliment (laughs) when the Bible likens us to sheep. (laughs) The Lord is saying, folks, you need a shepherd. You need saved. Like sheep always need saved. They are on their 
way to their own destruction if someone doesn't guide them differently. Ladies and gentlemen, we are people and we are on our way to destruction if someone doesn't guide us differently. There's a connection. We're sheep. We're not that smart. We pursue the wrong things. We walk off the edge of cliff. We could get destroyed by predators. Satan sends his angels and his armies and his evil guys and even people just like we're going down the road or we're at a mall or we're at a parking lot and we're somewhere and something bad happens and we're like, oh, we're surprised. Why are we so surprised? Evil surrounds us. That's the world we live in. We're fallen. We're broken. We need a shepherd. We need someone to save us from destruction. There are predators. There's evil. It's a bad world. We are sheep and we are vulnerable. We live in this place and we need what a shepherd will provide. Number one, the first image is the shepherd. And I'll I'll give you three things he provides But then we'll come back, we'll read the text, and I'll show you. So the shepherd provides, number one, provision, just food and water. Shepherd provides provision. Number two, direction. And number three, protection. So provision, direction, protection. Provision, direction, protection. That's what you get from a shepherd if you're a sheep. He's going to get you food. He's going to direct you where you need to go. And he's going to protect you from the bad guys. Provision, direction, protection, shepherd. Number two, the other image, and we're just about to read the text, but I want to set this up really well, is the host, is the host. Now, how many of you have ever been to a banquet? A good spot. How many of you have ever had the experience of a good host or hostess? We have some idea what that's like. I have many different experiences, both with my mom and uh, my best friend Subash and his wife Alice, lavish host. And when I think of this Eastern picture of a host and hostess in a different culture, immediately Subash and Alice come to mind. And there's a better story of that that I can tell you in just a moment. But the idea here is that when you are traveling in a worn and weary land, when it is hot and you are tired and you are dirty and you are thirsty, you are worn out. And at the end of your day's journey, you need some help. You are in trouble. You need restoration. You need what many a spa has called to relax, refresh, and ladies, renew. Yeah, that, sorry, I, maybe that's not as familiar as I thought it was familiar. I Googled it. And it came up right away. Here are three things that I will show you from a host in just a minute. It is to relax, refresh, and renew. So from the shepherd, it's provide, direct, and protect. From the host, it's relax, refresh, and renew. So a host will help you do that. Now let's see how that plays out then with this imagery in the next six verses of this psalm. Beginning in verse 1. Psalm 23 says this, and feel free to just say it quietly out loud as we read it if you like. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. I believe that God is good. God is in control. And Jesus wins. I believe in the prayers of the people, the truth of the word, and the power of the spirit. I believe that we, the church, have the gospel, which is the life-changing, world-saving good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's look at that in Psalm 23. It begins and it says, Yahweh, or the Lord, is my shepherd. So David is immediately identifying with the shepherd imagery. And you should know this psalm is written by a guy named David, who is Israel's Old Testament greatest king ever. One who defeated all their enemies and set up his son Solomon for total success. He's the messianic prefiguring of the Christ. He is the anointed one, original but not perfect, but the figure that points towards Jesus. Here is the David calling out and saying that he, the king, needs a shepherd. And so this is a picture of a shepherd king or a king shepherd. And he is saying that as even the one who has defeated all of the enemies around him, he still needs the things that the shepherd provides. Now, first of all, I want to say this. So we look at that. It's important to apply it to us as individuals specifically. The word here that David used is my shepherd. Individual, singular, specific. Now, rightly so, the American church has often be, been criticized by saying that it's overly individualistic. It's about our own experience, our own this, our own that. Correct. If you look at the Old Testament, what you see is it's almost always referred to the people of Israel as God's flock. It's a corporate we, a corporate body, and a corporate group. But in some strange way, even as a corporate body, it still applies to us individually. And David realizes that. Israel has a long history from the Exodus onward of being God's flock that he leads through the wilderness. And yet, even with that big picture in mind, the king says, it's not just for the body as a whole, but for me as a specific individual person. Whatever you're going through, wherever you're at, each individual single case in this room, every single one of these faces is different. And every single one of us needs different shepherding. And that is what an almighty, omniscient, all-knowing God can do. Because he knows every single one of us individually as sheep. He doesn't just see the 99, he sees the one and every single one of them. My shepherd. We need it wherever we're at. If we're in elementary school, if we're in preschool, if we're in another country, if we're in the United States, if we're serving in Hungary, we're serving wherever. We all need a shepherd. David individualizes a specific to himself and says, I need this. I need my shepherd. So, He's applying it to himself and he says the first overall principle of provision, I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want. The picture he gives here is of pastures and still waters. And um, Leah, let's go ahead and jump to some of those slides real quick. We'll show some. So here's some sheep 
you can see them. They're not even well camouflaged. You know, they're kind of like got a great big bullseye on them. If you're a wolf, you're looking at these things. They don't blend in like deer or anything else. But they definitely need lead or provided for by a shepherd. Next picture, please. And so this is what it would look like in that type area. This is actually a picture from the Holy Land of a flock of sheep being led down to pasture in still waters. Next picture. And you can see what a difference it would make if they had still waters. This is actually a picture we looked at another psalm not too long ago. You may recognize that. And final picture. And so here's what they look like in green pastures. So he is the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd who will provide for them food and water first of all provision secondly direction secondly direction it says that he leads me he leads me he leads me he leads the sheep he leads us you saw the pictures here and then the next word is he makes me lie down now i want to pull out that make word because if we are sheep and we're like them then we need that too and, and oftentimes the shepherd wants to lead us, but we, like the sheep, don't necessarily want to be led. I'm not sure that I want to follow you. Why should I? I want to go my own way. I think this would be more fun. This might be a better path. That place looks a little scary. I think I want to go this way. But the shepherd wants to lead us intentionally and purposely. And at times he has to make us go where he wants us to go. Believe it or not, sometimes I pray that. I'm like, Lord, not your will but mine. And I really mean it because I know my will. And it's not for suffering. It's not for difficulty. It's for ease and comfort and success and all that other stuff that we think is good. But I know sometimes you think the hard way is the better way. And so I need you to make me go the hard way. And that's the idea of a good shepherd here. Sometimes a sheep want to go the easy way. And he's got a rod and a staff. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But the staff is what we think of as a typical typical shepherd's crook. It's a long stick. Could have a curl on the front. It may not. But often on the bottom, it's got a little goad. And you know what that goad is for on the bottom? The goad on the bottom is for the bottoms. And the little bottoms that aren't going on the right way get the goad. And the shepherd says, no, uh, sheepy, 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 boop, 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 boop. This way, sheep goes, ouch, boom, moves along. That's the shepherd who makes them lie down. If they're going the wrong way, uh, uh-uh, you gotta stay here tonight. Boop, 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 ouch, stay. Little sheepy, go in the right direction. You need a shepherd to lead you. You need one to make you. And I do too. So I pray and I hope you pray. I hope that we will pray, Lord, not our will, but yours. There's a lot of things we want in life, but they're not all good. We think they're all good, but they're not all good. Sometimes the all good could be a little bit more difficult. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't even always know what it is for me. But again, we need an all-knowing, all That's last week's alarm. We've changed service times, by the way. It's almost 1045. Man, I thought I had those things turned off. All right. See, I need a shepherd. Someone say, come on, dude. Where are you going? 
Lord, not my will but yours. You have to lead me. You have to direct me. I will go the wrong way. And if I don't have someone poking me in the wrong, right direction, it's not going to happen. I need a shepherd. I need one to provide for me, yes. But sometimes I need one to redirect me. Oftentimes I need one to redirect me. I was talking to someone this last week, grandfather. He said, boy, and it doesn't matter if you've had kids or not. If you've been around people, you know. Man, as soon as you see a little child, you will understand the need for redirection. <laughs> I mean, people just want to go in the wrong direction. That's the way it is. I'm holding back on many stories that are coming to mind right now. <laughs> number one, provision. Number two, direction. And number three, protection. Protection. Verse four talks about the valley of the shadow of death. This is in Hebrew, the deep darkness the deepest of valleys the deathiest of death the darkiest of dark literally it it sounds like that when you read it um and and the point is this you know the commentators go back and forth on what this means but the idea is man it's dark it's like cave dark it's like when you're spelunking or spelunking or whatever that's called and they turn out the lights and you can't even see your hand in front of your face this is scary and you know that the path is wet it is steep it is windy there are sharp and jagged rocks and you've fall over you're going to die or never find your way out or suffer this is the valley of deep shadows the shadowest of shadows it is dark and is difficult and is scary but you've probably also heard the term speak softly and carry a big stick nobody's stick is bigger than god's and when you walk with the shepherd he carries a staff but he also carries a rod and the idea of the rod is, is that it is like a cudgel. And so if you're one of those sheep, I'm one of those sheep, and you're sitting there, and it's scary, and you're hunkered down, and you're shivering, and you know there's wolves howling all around, you look up, and you see the shepherd with a great big rod. And you know, if any of those wolves come jumping at you, whack, they go down hard. That's the idea of a shepherd with a rod, a rod and a staff. Yeah, the staff directs us, but the rod comforts us. Why? Because we're going to get the rod? No, we're going to get the staff. But our enemies, the Lord has a rod for them. And that's an encouragement and a strength and a comfort. And that's what the psalmist is saying is, look, as a vulnerable, dependent, scary sheep that's afraid of my attackers i am so thankful that my shepherd has a big big rod justice is real we live in a world of injustice and we see it everywhere and our society is crying out for it because of terrible things we've historically done and continue to do over and over again but when you look at the bible the cry of the psalmist is lord See what's happening here and respond. And God assures us that he will. It may be in our lifetime, may not. But we have the guarantee of the justice of God, his eternal power, his eternal comfort, his eternal peace, his eternal rest, and his eternal wrath. And that wrath is an assurance and a comfort for those who are trusting in him that we don't have to fight back because someone else is fighting on our behalf. God's rod it comforts me. People don't always want to see this side of God, but if you've ever been attacked, I'm sure you, you, you do. You want someone to fight on your behalf. And that actually becomes a comfort. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So the shepherd, he provides provision, direction, 
and protection. In other words, the shepherd saves. The sheep are bound for destruction, whether it's through starvation and they need provision, whether it's through getting lost and they need direction, or whether it's through vulnerability and they need protection. Either way, he gives provision, direction, and protection. The shepherd saves. Number one, the shepherd saves. Number two, the host. Number two, the host. So in verse five, the picture changes. Verses one through four, the image that's worth a thousand words is that of the shepherd. That's verses one through four. Now the other, the next thousand words, so we got 2,000 words here, I guess. That's pastor math, by the way. I can do that. Um, is this, he prepares a table. This is the host or hostess picture. It's R, R cubed or R to the third or however you want to say it. Relax, refresh, renew. After a long, hard day, you need to relax. Now, the first picture is still kind of a wild one. Verse five says, you prepare a table before me, like in front of the Super Bowl with all my friends and a great big spread of my favorite dishes. Is that what it says? No, what's it say? In the presence of my enemies. Ah, that's not the path I was going down, Lord. <laughs> I was thinking about the all-you-can-eat buffet or the cruise or the nice sandy beach. But this psalm says, in the presence of my enemies. Until we get to heaven, we still have enemies. As long as Jesus is there and we're here, That's the way it is. Until he comes back, the enemies have not been totally destroyed. Yet, what we see is, based on the fact that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, although he's not destroyed them totally, he has defeated them completely. And as a result, even though they're still here and trying to get us, we know they can't beat us. And therefore, we sit down in comfort with them surrounding us and have a nice meal. No big deal. There they are. They want to kill us. They hate us. It's a bad world, evil place. But because of the assurance of Jesus Christ, his rod and his staff, his death, burial, and resurrection, the promise of future forever together with him when he makes all things new, we can sit down and enjoy our food even in the valley of the shadow of death. Because God is good. God is in control and Jesus wins. And we can eat a feast even in the presence of our enemies. He prepares it for us. He makes it for us. He wants to show us how powerful he is. And so instead of removing the opposition, he lets us feast in front of them. It's a strange thing. But it's something that David is well familiar with. Again, David was a shepherd boy, so he knew about being a shepherd. David was also a king, so he knew about lavish feasts. And better believe me when I say David had enemies and he knew about enemies. Boy, that guy had been through some stuff. From his wives, to his children, to the Philistines, to whoever. Everybody's been trying to kill this guy for a long time. Even his own family. But here's a man through a long history of experience of God as his shepherd can truly say that he knows what it's like to be surrounded by bad guys. And even in that situation, God is still there. And so, bottoms up, enjoy, sit down, feast, 
in the presence of your enemies. Number one, knowing that God is powerful and strong and good and kind and cares about us gives us tremendous emotional stability. Emotional stability is what this is talking about here. It's a paradox that you can eat and feast in the presence of someone who wants to kill you. That doesn't make sense. That's like rejoicing at a funeral. More celebrating at time. People don't understand that. Why do Christians do that? We know something you don't. We believe in the resurrection. And this is not the end. And there's something about that in the very last verse of this psalm. But we'll get there here in a second. Number one, the hopes the host helps us to relax. To relax. We're surrounded by evil and enemies on the other side. So what? If you really believe in Jesus, so what? Do you actually think that they're more powerful than him? Do you think that their rod is bigger? No. So what? If you're with Jesus, so what? Have a feast in the presence of your enemies. It's kind of like those spy movies where, you know, I this, this is just me, you know, but you know that, I don't know, James Bond or somebody is sitting there at a table sipping his latte or whatever and six bad guys surround him he doesn't even spill a drop and they're like what he said well look at all the red dots on your shirt he's safe in the presence of his enemies he's not afraid that's the idea number one you can relax emotional stability number two you can refresh you can refresh this is the idea of anointing i hinted or alluded at this earlier let me read you an example um, well, first of all, just culturally, know that in this culture, anointings would happen at three places. Number one, the coronation of the king. Number two, the um, ordination of the high priest. Or number three, the welcoming of a special guest. So a king, priest, or guest. King, priest, or guest. Now, here's an example. In the 1800s, um, this is just one I'm reading out of a book. Okay, um, In this book, it's not the right title anymore, but it was called then... Oriental customs, a Captain Wilson wrote about an experience he had that was like one spoken of the psalmist. He says, I once had a ceremony performed on me in the house of a great and rich um, Southeast Asian, an Indian, in the presence of a large company. The gentleman of the house poured upon my hands and arms a delightful odiferous perfume and put a golden cup into my hand and poured wine into until he ran over, assuring me at the same time that it was a great pleasure for him to receive me and that he was so honored that I should be in his house. That's the idea here. I don't know if you've ever been to another culture where they do that. It's a little bit overwhelming and somewhat humbling. You want to kind of step out of it. You're like, no, really, I'm not that great. You don't know me. Don't do that. Please stop. Please. But they're like, oh, we assure you it is such a great honor. We have never had guests like you. And it's part of the culture too. I mean, they're, they're, they're so warm and loving and welcoming and they, they're pouring the perfume on you this expensive stuff that they never use for themselves or their family and they're taking out their very best drink and letting it flow out of their very best cup and this is the welcome that you receive into their home and this is what david says god does for us this absolutely does not make any sense i mean you want to point out errors in the bible there's not a lot of logical ones but there's some crazy ones And this might be one. That God could love sheep like this. You know, sheep 
dumb, destruction-bound dingleberries. You know what dingleberries are? All right. Sheep are gross. They stink. They're disgusting. And yet the host welcomes people like us and like that into their homes? This does not make sense. That God would treat us like kings, priests, and honored guests. Only the king gets anointed. Only the priest on that one time in his whole life gets anointed. Only the most royal visitor ever receives an anointing. And yet, David says of us as individual sheep welcomed into the house or presence of Yahweh himself, you anoint me. Now, Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been anointed. We're not waiting for a special anointing. But the moment you place your faith in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit and he works in you just like oil. He pours over your head. He flows through you. He saturates you and you smell of him and reek of him. There's a great, great scene in the uh, most recent episode of The Chosen. I know I keep going back there, but they do this little bit of Oh, here's an Indian word for you, masala or spice. And they personify this demon thinking that the followers of Jesus stink. And the idea is, in this context, that oil gives off a certain smell. And so too, the Holy Spirit that permeates us for the evil forces. This is all just the, the concept. This is not literal. That there's a smell. The idea of the Holy Spirit is that he anoints us and we believe in Jesus. This spirit comes and saturates and permeates and flows through us just like oil. We all who have believed in Jesus have been anointed. Number one, the host helps us to relax. Number two, the host helps us to be refreshed. We are God's honored guest. And number three, the host helps us to renew once we've relaxed once we've refreshed you know you've come in you're hot you're tired you got cleaned up you got oil pointed out then you need to renew and the idea of renewal is in verse six where it says goodness and chesed goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life now i put a little accent on that just for fun but it's a big deal here this word chesed it occurs all throughout the old testament one of the most common words, and it's a complete sort of poke in the eye to the people who say that God in the Old Testament is not kind or good or loving. The exact opposite is true. When you chase down this word, you see God's loving kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy all throughout. And the big concept here, this is big, okay? If, if you're just reading through this psalm, this may or may not be a connection you made before, but this is absolutely huge, and that is this. It is covenant, covenant, covenant. This psalm is all about covenant. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, we're New Testament believers. We hear about covenants today. We think about land covenants or titles or deeds and doesn't, they're just kind of, eh. and we think about marriage covenants, which is a little bit closer, but those are broken all the time and we still don't give it. But covenant in God's economy is absolutely huge. That's why this psalm begins and ends with covenant. It starts with the very first word is everybody knows this in English and in Hebrew. What's the first word of this psalm? What is it? The Lord, which is Yahweh. 
It's his covenant name. It's the same name he gave to Moses when he revealed himself out of the burning bush right before he gives himself the ten, gives Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. It's covenant commitment. We find that word being sort of translated like I am. And then you get to the New Testament and Jesus says, I am seven different times in John. And then you go all the way to Revelation. And what you find is that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And the idea is a covenant is a promise. A covenant is something that you want to be kept. But what makes God so different from everyone else is that he Always, no matter what, always 100% of the time keeps his promises. And he can do that in a unique way because he is the alpha and the omega. He's literally there from beginning until end. And so if anybody can finish it, he can. Because he started it and he's going to end it. From like creation to fall to redemption to restoration, the whole thing. God runs through it. His covenants are everlasting. And that's what you see here is that this psalm is not just based on someone being a good shepherd or really good at what they do. It's based on God's everlasting eternal covenant. So it starts with Yahweh, the covenant name. And then in verse 3, it talks about his namesake. And then in verse 6, it goes into Hesed. All of those coming together To form the idea or concept of a covenant. It is God's covenant, God's promise that holds this thing together. We as sheep, we want to go astray and oftentimes we do. Now, if the shepherd didn't care about us, if he wasn't going to keep his word, then it'd be no big deal. And he could just let us wander off to our own destruction. But because of God's covenant, his commitment, his willingness to bind himself to an unbreakable arrangement... That, therefore, you see all the way through scripture, people praying according to, according to, on the basis of your unfailing love, your covenant, your name, according to you and who you are, hear my prayer. Not according to me and who I am and what I've done, but according to you and your unfailing love, Forgive me. Not on the basis of merit, but entirely on the basis of grace. See, all of this rests on God and not on us. He is the shepherd. He is the promise keeper. He is the covenant. if, If you have a promise for someone, it's only as good as the person behind it. If you have a promise, it's only as good as the person behind it. And that's the idea of God's covenant. Because of his character, because of his eternality, because he is the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, because he is Yahweh. Therefore, we can be assured that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Because he was there at the start of our life, conception, and he's there forever and ever. And that's why the psalm ends the way it does in verse tw- verse 6. It says, And goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like, there's no end. Like, one commentator says, this is more of a beginning than an ending. This is not the end of the psalm. This is a start. When you receive Jesus, you receive eternal life. You have it now. It's just begun. 
It doesn't end. It's just started. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Just one little fun thing as we get ready to close. Follow is a Hebrew word that means hunt down, pursue, attack, or chase. Again, we're like going in the right, wrong direction. But because of God's unbreakable commitment to his covenant, he will chase us down. The goodness and love don't just sit over there and wait for us to come and get it, but they come get us. You may be looking in the wrong direction and all of a sudden Jesus attacks with his goodness and mercy that follow us and pursue us even when we don't deserve it. Yahweh's covenant always stands fast. He is bound by his character according to On the basis of, Lord, your great name. For your name's sake, shepherd, save us. For your name's sake, host, restore us. God, we need your provision. We need your direction. We need your protection. Lord, we need to relax. We need to be refreshed. And we need to be renewed. Our shepherd saves, our host restores. If you don't have Jesus as your shepherd, if you don't have God as your host, I invite you to do that today for the very first time. Will you please believe in Jesus? Let him shepherd you. He died for you. He loves you. He cares about you. Not just you, but the whole world. And he wants to bring us together in one family to be the sheep of his pasture and lay down in green pastures beside still waters and be restored. There are a lot of wolves out there and no one wants to lie or make fake about it. This is not a positive self-help sermon. This is a Jesus save us sermon. The Lord is our shepherd. And when you believe in him, and when you follow him, you will not want. You may get poked in the butt a few times. You may have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You may have to sit down in the presence of your enemies. But in every single place, he gives us the assurance that only an almighty, infinite, all-powerful God can do. He says, I am with you. What's the promise of Isaiah? He will be with us. What's the promise of the shepherd? He will be with us. What's the name of Jesus? Emmanuel. And what is the fulfillment of scriptures? The Alpha and Omega is with us forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus, your son. Lord, we ask that your good shepherd would go with us. Please forgive us for our sin. We certainly deserve the rod and the staff many a time over and over again. But you and your covenant faithfulness renew and restore. Lord, I pray that you would bless and protect, that you would love, lead, and guide that we would gratefully accept your direction in our life and that it would be your will, not ours. And according to the incredible covenant, great name, and almighty God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.